You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Our executive director, Kyle Matthews, is organizing a series of interviews to support the AI and COVID disinformation initiative by the OSCE Office for the Representative of Freedom of the Media. Today, I'm very, very lucky to have with us uh, an expert on um, on the online space, particularly to, to women's political participation and the online aspect of misogyny and, and attacks against women. So we're very happy to have with us Lucina DiMecco. Lucina is the founder and researcher of ShePersisted.org, an interesting organization. I'm very glad to have you join us today, Lucina. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Lucina, let's start off. I'd like to know, tell us about your work in this space and at She Persisted and, and how it ties to disinformation. Yes, a couple of years ago, I published a research with the Wilson Center on the relationship between women in politics and social media. And that research was really instrumental in having me understand the impact and more often than not, negative impact that social media was having on women in politics, particularly also on women who were considering a political career. And so that's where my research and my interest started. And now I am starting a follow-up project with my co-founder, Christina Wilfor, that I hope you'll be also able to talk to soon, really that tries to find some of the responses uh, to the problems that we have seen. So, um, Lucina, let's start off. Have you noticed any changes in, um, in digital disinformation since the COVID pandemic has hit? We have seen basically disinformation, particularly against women in politics, growing and becoming possibly even more damaging. So in a context where online campaigning is the only way to campaign, digital disinformation really represents an incredible hurdle for women in politics to be able to set their own narrative, to have the messages that they need to have communicated across. And it really makes them invisible in many ways. It makes them uh, very, very, um, it makes it just very hard for them to be able to to communicate with the narratives that that they need to communicate. There have been several studies that also have looked at the, Uh, amount of disinformation happening and at the types of disinformation happening against women in politics. And we have seen that really the the amount has grown exponentially. And so studies particularly that looked at the U.S. Democratic and Republican races for Congress last year. So really um, a growth in online abuse, online attacks and disinformation against women in politics in the US. I am sure the same is happening in a number of other countries. And studies from Europe also looked at the way um, disinformation actors really try to use the, the angst that is present in in many people in this moment to try and build narratives against women in politics that really play on all the stereotypes of women being not trustworthy, of being dumb, uh, of being ultimately unfit for political office and trying to play on really this this feeling that people have. We need someone who's able to be in charge. We need someone who really can be a strong leader in this time and 
trying to disqualify really women women in politics, even in a moment where we have seen so many women in politics being among the best leaders that that we have had. So when we look at this disinformation online, particularly targeting women, um, and you, you point out that, they, that most countries that have women leaders are doing the best. I'm thinking of New Zealand and Germany amongst others. Um, but I'm wondering what is the role of artificial intelligence in, in, in dealing with these challenges? I think it really depends on who is using artificial intelligence. And so we have seen that the social media platforms have used artificial intelligence in general to really um, promote outrageous content. Uh, algorithmic design is such that uh, it doesn't really matter how truthful the message is, the narrative is, the post is, it matters how able to incite strong feelings. And those strong feelings are often related to fake, again, and outrageous content, in the case of women in politics, also to images that very often are diminishing and they get picked because they get liked, they get seen most, and therefore they become ultimately viral. And in this respect, I would say artificial intelligence hasn't really been helpful it's often mentioned, particularly, you know, by social media companies, again, um, as a tool to potentially respond to some of these harms. And so how they are improving their algorithms to be able to understand this information and, you know, flag it. In reality, we have seen that the opposite has happened. Artificial intelligence is not a tool that in and of itself can really understand and unpack some of the more complex um, narratives that are being brought up against women in politics is very unable to unpack some of the doctor, the images, and therefore there is little evidence that artificial intelligence will represent a solution if used by the social media companies in the way it has been used. Where I think it could be helpful could actually be in studying and analyzing better the problem. And so understanding better how gender disinformation is working, um, looking at the networks that are enabling it. We have seen some very interesting analysis being done in this respect. I have also partnered with an artificial intelligence company for my report that really was able to look at the amount of gendered attacks that women in politics when re were receiving and finding them to be much greater with respect to their male colleagues as well as different in nature. So I think that artificial intelligence can be helpful in the right hands to understand the problem. It won't be enough to, to tackle it. So, uh, Lucina, there's, um, there's a, a surge of political interest right now to try to do more about disinformation. Um, I'm wondering, um, in your view, are there any um, regulatory measures or key policies that government should think about in, in dealing with disinformation online? We have seen um, a growth in some, some interesting language, particularly I'm thinking of the UK and the European Union, 
and they're looking at a duty of care from social media companies. I think that, that this concept is very important that we need to elaborate on it further to make sure it can really be implemented. But it's really important because in some ways it does put rightfully the burden on the social media companies to make sure that they are working on different risk assessments before launching their program, their projects and, and their products to make sure that they're also looking at the impact that their products are having on real people. And in some ways, I think that this is really the framework that we must uh, keep in mind when thinking of, of regulations. So that's interesting. So human rights impact assessments need to be, um, in your view, a key uh, for companies before they roll things out and, and governments have a role in facilitating that or at least uh, trying to enforce them to do so. Um, I'd like to ask your question to move away from, from that though and ask, are there other measures that tech companies have been doing that need to be looked at? Um, we've, we've you know seen them trying to label different accounts, you know, not real news sources. I'm wondering, you know, is there anything that stands out for you that, that the tech companies are doing that, that, that is positive? You know, I just think that really much more needs to be done. The efforts that we have seen have been really insufficient and they have made little to no difference to actually women in politics and women in general. If you talk to women everywhere, they're telling you that the amounts of online vitriol threats and abuse they receive really frankly has been unchanged, if anything has been growing. There also are very significant side effects to the idea of just flagging content for being untruthful because there is almost an implication that all the content that is not being flagged is actually truthful and we know that not to be the case. So I would say that the efforts that, that we have seen social media companies saying that they are doing have been utterly insufficient and more often than not just a lip service to an issue that they have not really been um, able and willing more than anything to, to tackle. We haven't seen the political will. We haven't seen them really being willing, for example, to show how their algorithmic design is working. We haven't seen them really being willing, for example, to show how many reports they're receiving from different countries on the type of, of abuse that women face. We haven't seen them really opening up to um, civil society for further research and analysis. So I would say that I have not been impressed by anything I've seen from social media companies at this stage. There's, there's nothing wrong with being truthful, <laughs> Lucina. There's nothing wrong with being truthful. Um, so perhaps my last question for you um, is, is what can governments and civil society do to protect uh, the right to freedom of opinion and expression while countering digital disinformation? I think that there is really a false dichotomy here in thinking that freedom of expression and uh you know, protection uh, against against this information are uh, are opposing uh, in some ways um, values or, or or opposing interests. 
in reality, you do not really have freedom of expression in an environment where whatever you might end up saying is entirely invisible, in an environment where you are not even free, free to talk because you fear being attacked, as many women in politics and women journalists are attacked every day. In, in such an environment, it's very difficult even to think that there exists uh, freedom of expression to actually protect. So many of the actors that are talking about the need to protect this freedom are actually not seeing or pretending not to see that many women today do not feel free, do not feel safe to have that access to their expression um, because of very legitimate risks of threats, of smear campaign, of, of all kinds of um, all kinds of attacks. And that unless we tackle that first, we won't be really able to protect their, their freedom of expression. So I actually think that freedom of expression should be uh, a real concern that everyone should be able to express themselves freely. And unless we work in a different way with social media companies to ensure that everyone, everyone truly is, is free to express themselves, we won't be able to address this information. And at the same time, unless we address this information online threats, particularly against traditional marginalized groups and women, we will not be able to have those, those groups freely express themselves. Lucina, I really want to thank you for joining us today. Um, you provided a, a, a fascinating look into the gendered aspects of disinformation during the COVID crisis and what can be done. And, and, and I think um, your, your comments are, are, are really important for us to understand how this impacts women particularly, and we talk about media freedom, about women journalists um, who suffer um, a lot more online harassment. So once again, uh, thank you. Uh, we had Lucina DiMecco from the organization ShePersisted.org. Please check out ShePersisted.org. They're doing some amazing work. Lucina, thank you for joining us today.